All right, John chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20, and um, we'll see what the Lord will teach us this morning. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not, save to wash his feet but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments he was, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me." And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these words. We pray thee, Lord, that you will impress these truths upon our hearts. So we pray, Lord, that you will compass about us. Let us think only upon thee and thy words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, our, our deacon read this morning from uh, the book of Exodus. He read a couple of places there, uh, Exodus 29, 1 through 7, and Exodus 30, 17 through 21, because I want us to appreciate a, kind of a big picture here, what's taking place with respect to what the Lord is doing and how we as priests in Christ, as the scripture teaches us, how this parallels what took place in the Old Testament here. So we saw that Aaron, the high priest, when he was... Um, consecrating those that would perform the service in the temple, the first thing he did was he washed them, and that was to take place only once. Then after that, for their continuing service, that was in Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21, we read about how a laver was prepared and that they would need to wash their hands uh, and their uh, feet as they continued uh, to minister um, 
before the Lord at the altar. In verse 21, and so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. So we see a parallel to that, that in order for them to engage in the service of the temple, that they needed to wash their hands and their feet. And this was an ongoing thing that needed to be done throughout the course of their ministry. And the Lord says something that is very similar to that when he says in verse 8 of John chapter 13, he says, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So we see this interesting parallel between the Lord here, who is our high priest, um, how he... um, has washed his disciples because he intimates that he has washed them and how they must continue uh, to be washed their feet, not their hands and their feet, but just their feet. So we should appreciate that the Old Testament dispensation uh, was a works-based dispensation, and we know that uh, no man can by um, his own works uh, merit favor before God. And so in the New Testament, we're speaking of grace. The hands are not washed, but the feet are washed, and the washing of the feet represent our walk in this world and how we are soiled and defiled by this world. Um, Scripture says that, you know, evil communications corrupt good manners. And so we have to keep that in view as we come before the Lord, that we want to um, make sure that our feet are washed, that the, that the effects of this world are uh, removed from us. So as I go through this uh, in detail here, we need to appreciate that there are two different words used for washed here. In verse 10, he says, he that is washed, that's past tense, that means to have the entire body bathed. And that what was, uh, we saw the parallel to that in Exodus 29, where the priest is washed, he that will uh, uh, perform service. Um, but what he's speaking about up in verse 8, where he says that um, thou shall never wash me, wash my feet, that means to only clean a portion of the body, a part of the body. And it's always used that way in Scripture. One washing is the entire body, and the other washing is just, let's say, your hands or your feet. In this case, he's talking about his, you know, his head as well. And the Lord says, no, I have to wash you, otherwise you have no part in me. So if we're not con- continuously cleansed in this context here, just like the high priest or the priest that would go in to minister in the temple not washing at the laver would die, he said, lest ye die not, we have no part with the Lord. We have no fellowship. This is the context here in, in John 13 is we have no fellowship with him. We have to have our feet washed. And uh, we'll talk about that as we move in here. So uh, keep the big picture here in terms of uh, what we see in the Old Testament. Of course, uh, we find in the New Testament as well. And so we see the Lord here has washed them, but not all of them are washed. And and this must be continuously washing your feet. And we're also going to see here about how the Lord here um, steps out of heaven and willfully took on, you know, um, the. uh, I'm going to read it because I don't want to use improper language. Um, How he took on the form of a sermon, you know, made himself of no reputation. And we're going to see him there. He's at table supping. He's at fellowship with the disciples. And then he gets up from the table. He serves them in in a manner whereby he washes their feet. And then he returns to the table. So you get this big picture here, which we see in John chapter 17, where the Lord steps out of his glory, comes down to the earth. He ministers to his people, and then he returns to glory. In, in John chapter 17, verse 5, the Lord is praying. He says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So the Lord was in glory, steps out of his glory, um, comes to save his people from their sins, and then he returns to glory. So you see that in the context of the Lord's fellowshipping with the disciples, And then he uh, gets up from the table, washes them, and then he returns to the um, 
table. So just a couple of big picture things here. It's always important to keep uh, things in their spiritual context, so we appreciate that the salvation and the service of man is ever in, in view here and the work that Christ hath done that we would enjoy for uh, eternal fellowship with him. So in the first verse here, it speaks about how um, the Lord, when he knows his time has come, he's getting ready to depart out of this world. He knows everything that's going to happen to him, and he has known that from before the foundation of the world because he is the lamb slain from before the, from the foundation of the world. So, And he's going to ask that his disciples appreciate that um, as things bear itself out here when he speaks about them. He says, I'm telling you before it come to pass. This is verse 19. When it is come to pass, you may believe that I am, meaning I'm telling you that I'm going to be betrayed. I've told you that many times. I'm telling you again I'm going to be betrayed. I'm even going to show you who's going to be the individual who's going to do it. It was prophesied in the psalm that that would take place. Um, But that I'm going to go back to glory. And so sometimes people would criticize the Christian faith and say, well, how can the eternal one, how can he who is the Messiah, how could he be killed? And they, in their minds, it, they think it's undermining um, Scripture. They think it's undermining whom Christ is, but it's actual proof of who he is. He said he would come. He said he would be betrayed, and he said he would die. And he's telling his disciples the fact that the very fact that that thing happens affirms that I am exactly whom I say I am and that I am exactly whom this, this Scripture says I, I would be. He's fulfilled all of the Scriptures, which includes his death, burial, and resurrection. So he's setting that before them. Because he knows their hearts are going to be terribly troubled when all this starts to um, come to fruition. When he's, when he's taken in the garden, he allows himself to be bound, and then he's taken to the cross. That is proof that he is, in fact, the anointed one, uh, the Messiah. So he says here in verse 1, here, speaking of these things, uh, and having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And what that means here, he loving them to the end, means he loved them up to the goal. In the context here, the goal is the cross. He continually loved his disciples. Indeed, they were loved from before the foundation of the world, and we know that his love is eternal. But in the context here, he's going to love them right up until um, he um, commends his spirit into the um, Father. And we see that certainly when he's on the cross. When he's on the cross, what does he do? He ministers to the people that are around him. He ministers to his mother. Uh, he ministers to the, uh, one of the thieves on the cross around him. And so continuously demonstrating love right up until he breathed um, and uh, commended his, uh, his spirit unto the Father. And so we see that supper being ended, uh, meaning he's going to step up from, an, uh, from it here, and he's going to gird himself with this um, towel and wash his disciples' feet. He uh, knows, of course, that the devil is going to put in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. In verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he is God. Keep that over in mind. He is God. Knowing all of these things, he does what he does in verse 4 here. Jesus, knowing that he's God, that he's from God, and that he's going back to God, he does this. He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and he girded himself very much like you would expect a servant or a slave to do. Now, keep in mind that we're not dealing with um, somebody who's um, prominent in the eyes of other people in the context that this is not like a local um, political figure. We're speaking about 
he in whom dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ is God. And our, um, our deacon read this morning about the Lord crying out and saying that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Um, Jesus is God. And this is God condescending down to, do, uh, to serve his, uh, his chosen people. So after that, he had poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wherewith he was girded. We can appreciate the nature of man from Romans chapter 3, where it speaks of our feet are swift to shed blood. And that, of course, is to be contrasted with the Lord's feet. Back in John chapter 12, verse 3, we saw that Jesus' feet um, were anointed, and that anointing filled the house, um, the order of it filled the house. Jesus' feet are beautiful. And again, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, it speaks about how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And indeed, we had seen in uh, Luke chapter 4 uh, last week and, and other times about how Jesus was anointed to preach the gospel. And indeed, how beautiful are his feet. And indeed, when we go forth to preach the gospel, our feet are beautiful as well, too. So we see this wonderful contrast between the Lord and uh, and his disciples and men in general in the context that our feet are swift to shed blood, and yet his feet are ever beautiful to go forth and uh, preach the gospel of, um, of peace. So as the Lord does this, he comes to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And so we ask ourselves, because Peter's going to have this issue about, no, you're not going to wash my feet. Is this an issue of, of pride, that he would not have the Lord serve him in this manner, or that he would not be served in this manner? Is this ignorance, that he doesn't appreciate what needs to be done? Um, I think as people, pride makes it difficult for us to accept help from other. And I think it's pride, um, and I know it's pride, is the greatest hindrance to anybody receiving the gospel, because a man has to... Um, appreciate the fact that they are totally depraved before the Lord, that they are dead in trespasses and sins, and that there is nothing in and of themselves that they can do to merit favor with God. So they have to receive the gift of faith, they have to receive the gift of salvation, and that is a gift that people don't want to receive. It's interesting to know that when uh, people come before the throne of judgment um, at their death, they do so when there is virtually no strength whatsoever in the flesh. I mean, they either do it in a traumatic uh, manner via an accident, or they slowly um, deteriorate in their health and their strength until there is nothing in them that can even cling to this world. And it is then when they come before the Lord. So it is never by any man's strength that he can even present himself um, before the Lord. So is this an issue of pride with Peter? Um, that I, I don't know, but I do know that it is pride that makes it very difficult for us to receive this kind of service or help from another individual. Um, the Lord says here, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. So I think we can appreciate that there are many things that the Lord has done for us that we do not appreciate, nor do we understand now, but through continual prayer and continual appreciation and understanding of God's word, by his grace, we can 
come to an appreciation of what he has done for us. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that requires reading the scripture, that requires us sharing things one with another, but most of all, it requires time on our knees, fellowshipping with the Lord, that he would reveal and open up to us the things that he has done for us and what that means um, for us. And so that's what he's telling uh, Peter. You don't really understand what's going on here, but you will know as we move forward. In verse 8, Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And so we again, we appreciate that this word wash here means just one portion of his body. I don't want my feet washed. But the Lord is saying that this is something that must take place, lest we not have uh, fellowship one with another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, when we get to verse 10 here, the Lord says, He that is washed need not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said, ye are not all clean. They're not all clean because they're not all washed. So, as I mentioned, there's the word wash here has two different, there's two different Greek words, and they mean two different things. So, how is the Christian washed? Well, the Christian is washed in a couple of different ways. And so the Bible intimates that, that we are washed with blood, and we are also washed with water. One, we're washed on one occasion, blood certainly, and also with water in the context of the Holy Ghost in terms of its regeneration, we're washed one time. But there's another context in which we are washed time and time again. And this is what the Lord is setting before us here. It's interesting to note in John chapter 19, verse 34, that the Lord um, speaks or teaches us what comes out of his side when his side was pierced. When he was on the cross, in John 19.34, it says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. And so we're going to see that um, both of those are used in the context of the Lord um, being washed. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it speaks about how we are washed with his blood. And he has washed us with his blood. In verse 5 of of, um, Revelation chapter 1, it says, And from Christ Jesus, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Well, last week, you know, we were talking about the different verb, verb tenses, and we should appreciate that what is in view here is that we were washed at some point, in our life, it's not important to know when that happened in the context of that it's used here, but it was a one-time washing. It was a one-time love, and it was a one-time washing. And that's what our understanding was when we read John 3.16 last week when we were looking at the different verb tenses, that we were um, um, appreciating that the Lord loved the world, meaning believers, in a particular way at a particular time. In verse 16 of John chapter 3, it says, For God so loved... The world did that on one occasion in a certain way that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, that would be a continuous belief, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth, that's a continuous belief on him, is not condemned. But he that believeth not continuously is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So just like we understand the word love there, 
that it was a it was a peculiar way, a particular way. At one time, we see the same thing here in Revelation chapter one, verse five, so that we should appreciate um, that the Lord is not speaking of a continuous love for this world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's to be understood that this is the way that he manifested his love when his son went to the cross, which he did on one occasion um, and not another. So that's, the con- that's one way which we are washed. And we are washed at one time. We are washed with his blood. We see uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 use of the term water. And this has to do with regeneration. And that, in that context, it would be the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6... Verses 9 through 11, we read, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, no, excuse me, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. There is a list of sins there for which people are forgiven. And such were, past tense, some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So we see here in this, in this section here the words justification and sanctification. And so we should appreciate this one washing with the blood is with respect to justification. And this washing that we might receive again uh, and again would be in terms of sanctification, in terms of uh, us uh, having continuous fellowship uh, with the Lord that we may, we may serve him. We also see this in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, this again is a one-time washing. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be uh, no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were, this is how we used to be, just like the Corinthians, we used to be this way, we also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, um, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. In other words, we're not talking about the washing of the hands here, like we um, spoke of in the Old Testament here. Not by works of righteousness, which we had done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So we appreciate here, again, speaking of a one-time washing in terms of the regeneration and renewing by the Holy Ghost here. So that would be a context of us being washed um, completely and wholly um, um, by the Lord. With respect to washing the feet here, again, that's not what he's speaking of here. Now he has talked about, he has also said here that if this, you've received that washing, you are every bit clean. You have been justified by the Lord. And so you will, of course, go to glory. But he says, you are not all clean, in verse 11, meaning not everybody is washed. Judas is not somebody the Lord died for. So people that contend that uh, this idea of universal atonement, meaning anybody who accepts it, of course, uh, um, would be saved, 
is false in the context that Jesus did not die for everybody. He did not shed his blood for everybody. He shed it for particular people, a peculiar people unto himself. And Judas was not somebody he died for. He was not washed. He did not shed his blood uh, for Judas. And he says that here in the context that he's got his 12 disciples before him. And he said, ye are not all clean. Judas is not clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you. He's already told them they don't know it. (laughs) And so I would ask us, do we know what the Lord has done uh, to us? Not just what he's done for us, but what he has done to us. He has shed his blood for us and he has washed us. That is something that he has done um, to us. Now, verse 14, he says, if I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. I think I skipped 13. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for I am so. There's an interesting thing here in the order that the Lord has used these words here. He puts master before the Lord, because that is the context with which the disciples came to know him. They first came to know him as master and teacher, and then they came to know him as Lord. Uh, the com- one of the commentators I read said that everywhere in the Gospels you will find that the disciples always referred to Jesus as either Lord or Master or, or Teacher. They always used a respectful salutation when they were speaking of him. Those that despised the Lord would refer to him exclusively as the name of, of Jesus. And so we can appreciate that just like people today struggle with respecting those in certain offices... So did the people uh, then have those same struggles. Nothing has changed with respect to the nature of man. When you're denigrating a certain person, you might say, um, Joe did this or Joe did that, as opposed to uh, Mr. Biden did this or Mr. Biden did that, which is um, all of that is wrong. It should be President Biden. And so while we might struggle with the individual, God has ordained that office. And we certainly saw that with respect to the last president, that God had ordained that office, and I had never seen a man treated with greater disrespect than the most recent president. And so he should ever be referred to as as president such and such, and that including the the current president as well. Um, God has ordained all principalities and powers. He has placed him in that office, and so uh, we need respect the office. So we see that the Lord is having that issue as well. Those that, uh, that know him, his disciples always referred to him as Lord and Master. And indeed, he is um, the Lord and master over all things. And he's sharing with him. He's using that title even of himself here. He says, I have done that. I have washed your feet. He also ought to wash one another's feet. And so we have this example set before us here where the Lord of glory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has stepped out of glory and washed his disciples' feet. That is a far greater condensation than any of us could ever do, no matter whose feet we wash on this earth. There is nobody so far beneath us, at least in our own mind, that would even come close to paralleling what the Lord of glory himself has done. So he's saying to them, I, the Lord of glory, have condescended and washed your feet. Y'all are peers one with another. Um, You should be washing one another's feet um, as well. Now, to help us to appreciate that this is a thing that we continue to do, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, the Lord speaks about this, uh, using this context of washing. And I hope you can appreciate that when you feel like you've been um, contaminated um, with the things of this world, how good it is to sit down 
and read the scriptures, and it almost, it, well, I shouldn't say almost, it does have a cleansing effect on your heart. And indeed, conversing with another Christian has the same effect. In verse 25 of Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And so we continuously come back to Scripture and have the dirt of this world washed from us. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, that this is something that is continuing, we pick up here in 28 and 29. So ought men to love their wives, which you're going to do continuously as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And so we take care of ourselves, our body, just as the Lord, who is our husband, takes care of his body, meaning takes care of the church. And the Lord shares us that in verse 32. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so this is something that um, the Lord does for us on a continuous way, just as we are to continue to do that one uh, with another. In Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verse 13, it speaks about how we might do this one with another. He says, but I exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So that we are continued to um, engage in this activity, lest we would um, have our hearts hardened. So we say, exhort one another. So when we come here for fellowship or we uh, speak to each other in the course of a week, our desire is to lift one another up and to point people to Scripture um, that they might know how they ought to behave in this present evil um, world. In in 2 Timothy um, 3.16, we can appreciate what the Scripture says here. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So when you find your brother getting out of the way, if you bring them to Scripture and teach them doctrine, then from there, everything else would flow that they would get back in the way. So we teach them doctrine, then reproof. In other words, this is what you were doing that is wrong. In verse 3, here is how you correct yourself. Excuse me, in terms of correction, this is how you, how you fix the problem. And then with respect to instruction and righteousness, this is how you should continue to behave yourself. This is what the Bible tells us to do. And so everywhere we go in Scripture, uh, we should be looking for those things because they are indeed are everywhere in Scripture. And so we can exhort one another, lift each other up, get us back uh, in the way. And um, so we would not uh, have our hearts hardened. I do want to offer a word of caution. <laughs> we all have a beam in our own eyes. And sometimes that makes it difficult for us to see the moat in our brother's eye. So first deal with your own issues, um, and gently uh, you would help your brethren. In Psalm 119, verse 9, it asks the question, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to my word? And so again, this speaks of cleansing our way, how we should operate in this world, and we find that out through the word of the Lord. And so when we come to um, help our brother, 
and sister. How would we do it? In love and meekness. In Galatians chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So it's with the spirit of meekness, we would be gentle, we would be loving, endeavoring to get them back um, in the way. And this is the process by which we would cleanse their feet. That's what the Lord means when he says, do this one to another. He's not talking about doing something literally one to another, with his, um, but respect to bring them to the word in gentleness and in meekness and in a loving way. You cleanse their feet through um, the word of God. So, as we move into verse 15 here, it says, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Now, when we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, that section, that wonderful section, begins in verse 5 in the context of, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Up in verse 1, he says, If there therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, certainly with one with another, but also with Christ, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing done be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now this is the way the Lord condescended, and this is the this mind should be in us also, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. We see the Lord doing this, getting up from the table and girding himself with a towel very much like a servant would do. Everything he did was voluntary, and that's what it's saying here. Christ made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant, and we certainly see that manifest here in in John 13. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see this wonderful um, humility in the Lord that he has set before us as an example that this is how we should serve one another. And indeed, as it says here in Philippians chapter 2 about calling him Lord, he has said that they are calling him Lord too, and we can appreciate that. That also is through the grace of God. In verse 16, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. I think we can appreciate that what the Lord is saying is though he is equal with God, he is saying in the office and the things that I'm doing here, I am not greater than my Father who has sent me. And let everyone keep this in their own mind because ambassadors, he's going to talk about that, ambassadors are sent and they represent the monarchy. They represent a king, they represent the uh, another government. 
They should not be speaking of their own accord and have their own agenda. They are subservient to the individual who has sent them, and they are not even on equal footing with them. They are not um, equal to them, or they are not greater than them. And people need to keep that in mind because sometimes when you get out there in a remote assignment, you can forget about who sent you and by what authority you are operating, and you begin to think of yourself as equal to or greater than the one sent you. And the Lord is wants us to keep that in mind here, that you are not greater than the one who has sent you. Um, if you know these things, happy are ye, happy are ye if you do them, verse 17. Now, it's one thing to know what the Lord would have us to do, and another thing altogether to actually do them. There's happiness in walking in conformity to God's word and in obedience to God's word. If you've been a Christian any length of time, I think you would know experientially that when you are serving somebody else, you are truly happy inside your heart. Um, I find joy in serving people, and I find great satisfaction and happiness in doing that, in serving others. You know, the Lord says it is better to give than to receive. And this is certainly an example of that. It is better to give love than to receive love. It is better to give gifts than to receive them. It is far better to serve than to be served. And so the Lord is sharing us with us a truth. Happy are ye if ye do them. Now in verse 18, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel uh, against me. That language is interesting. It, of course, it comes from the, uh, the psalm speaking of what Judas would do to him. You recall it was the head of the serpent that would be bruised, and it would be the heel of the Lord that would be bruised. And so the, uh, it is interesting that the Lord uses language here, suggested that Satan would endeavor to bruise Christ's head, but that's not how it shall uh, work itself out. Christ will bruise his head, and it, of course, is a fatal blow. Verse 19, now I tell you before it is come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am. I've already um, shared that with us, to, that we might appreciate that the Lord is saying that all of prophecy is going to be fulfilled. I've told you what's going to happen, and indeed it is, in fact, going to happen. Um, and that will prove to you that I am, in fact, who I say I am and who the Scripture says I am, that I am, in fact, God. Verse 20, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. We can appreciate the unity of uh, the um, body of Christ here with the head, which is Christ, um, in the context of Christ has told us many times that he was sent of the Father. To believe Christ is to believe the Father, to see Christ is to see the Father. The same thing is true with respect to the disciples that, that he sends out. And that includes all of the people in the Christian church, that we are the ones who are sent out uh, by God. In Matthew 28, at uh, the very end here, he says, and, um, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We are to go out into the world and we are to preach the gospel and people that receive us are receiving Christ. And if they receive Christ, they're receiving um, God the Father. And so there's this wonderful union here that we should appreciate that receiving us is, receiving the gospel is to receive the truths that God has, has taught. 
Later, he's going to talk. He's going to say something very similar. If they reject you, they rejected me, and when they reject me, they rejected the one that sent me. So it, this works both ways. But you should appreciate that in the context that we are indeed um, forever united with God through Jesus Christ, and um, we should appreciate that when we go out and speak to the world. That when people are hearing the gospel, they're not hearing us; they're hearing um, the Lord who has uh, sent us. Uh, so we're going to close with that and um, continue with our worship. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.